Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where a couple of degenerates meet up every week and regurgitate history stories that we have decided to compulsively not hit Wikipedia too much with and try to find substantiating articles. <laughs> I'm your host, Teresa Potratz, and that other host is... Angie. <laughs> I'm laughing because one of my sources did not, did not include Wikipedia until the very last second because i wanted uh, i needed to look like i needed to understand something so now now one of my sources is wikipedia i mean this this checks right whatever the number of times i'll go through and like sample previous podcast episodes that you and i have done and i've said the phrase like did this source come from a bathroom wall and you kind of go i mean kind of this one's reddit Hey, listen, Reddit might be the underbelly of the internet, but sometimes there's gems in there. It Reddit will never be as bad as 4chan. I can safely say I've never been there, and um, I couldn't I couldn't tell you whether I agree with you or not. And since I can't, then I do. I mean, I think at one point, my grandfather made a passing comment about 4chan as in like knowledge of having like possessing knowledge of 4chan and I kind of like looked at him like what have I got here and like to the point what am where, I working with right to the point where like when he passed my aunt and cousins and sister and I were all in his office where he had the computer and she's looking around at stuff and she goes I think we need to destroy the computer like after we get everything taken care of, like bills and everything like that, wise, I, I I know Gramps would sometimes look at stuff on the dark web. I don't think we need to know what happened there. And I'm not even saying we wipe the hard drive. I'm saying we do that and then smash it with a hammer. Hey, you know, at least at least you have somebody lined up in your family that's going to do, do the work for you, you know? You know, I mean, you're right. I told Ian that I want it to be Ethan for me. And he just laughed because I want to get one more. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Dude. Okay. Like you say this and I really want to start keeping a false diary <laughs> that talks awesome. about like an incredible arrest record. Yes. Like every time I travel for work, include entries that suggest I went to, you know, different countries yes and document food and like spy drops and things like that and then you know but just just Be casual. do it right yeah. and then like just make sure that she sees it occasionally so she knows that it exists but never gets to read it because it's a diary and then when i pass goes oh what's this and goes my oh. mother ran a cartel really <laughs> You know, like, that's Um, the kind of stuff I want, you know, like, I want to figure out a way to tie in Escobar's cocaine hippos and like the whole nine. You absolutely should. Absolutely should. I'll help you work it out. Okay. And then, like, um, yeah, we'll do it. You can make me an accomplice. This feels worthy. I'm here for it. It'll be amazing. This really needs to be a thing now. This is going to become <laughs> my new mission in life. Thank you for the new hyperfixation. I appreciate you. You are welcome. I'm here to help. <laughs> so aside from coming up with ways to assist my daughter's uh, paying for her next therapist's 
house. Um, <laughs> For buying their beach house in the Hamptons. <laughs> right. What have you been up to? Um, You know, we just did, uh, we had the state shoot last weekend, so we were super busy. Um, Owen's sick, so we're not, he's not very, he's not a happy camper, mm. so I'm sad about that. But school's out, so we're like entering the calm. Yeah. We're not there yet, but we're entering, and that makes me really happy. We have one more day of school because of snow days. Oh, I know, right? Like her teacher is a Californian. And so her teacher's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize snow days were a possibility. And so I scheduled a vacation to start the first weekday of spring break or summer break. And then snow days happen and I can't reschedule. So she will have a substitute on her last day. Because... You know what? Yeah. Owen did that had that last year, the whole last week. Poor baby is it's just going to be a play day anyway right like it's it's going to hit the teacher more than it's going to hit the kids the kids don't care they're they're what what are they going to do carry home the last of the bits of arts that were tacked to the wall like there's there's nothing for them there yeah they're done it's it's <laughs> literally been done just a since day. march <laughs> yeah i mean honestly it's just a day for the school to collect more revenue per student from the government and i'm okay with yeah. that because our schools do need support and but do i imagine any lifelong learning no no. Yeah. It's like yeah. my senior year English teacher, first day of English class that year, she looks at us and she just goes, I'll be honest, there's not a damn thing I'm going to teach you this year. If you don't know it already, you ain't going to. Now that said, we're, st we're still going to cover the curriculum, but I have zero well, expectations on you. I love her. I mean, she just didn't lie from start to finish. You know what? Here's what you got. Here's where we're going. My expectations are so low. This is what we're working with. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, and that said, the stuff she taught that year, I am still showing friends and coworkers on like how to organize your life, how to think through decisions, how to actually make a tough choice. Because she spent our time doing that, which I touched on more last week than I have any sentence structure or literary themes or things like that. Hey, you know, sometimes you, you learn life from your teachers more than you learn the curriculum. I remember telling my senior English teacher was also my drama teacher. Yeah, that happens. All four years, right? Yep. And um, I was her TA. Like, we spent so much time in her care over those four years. And I remember thinking, like, yes, she taught us the curriculum well. But what did she teach? Like, she she taught us how to be humans. Like mm -hmm. how how to be good humans, and for that, like there's no, there's not there's not enough thank yous, there's not enough like appreciation you can give back for the life experience that she gave you just by existing, right? And and showing up, you know. So, I get it. I I totally get it. Teachers are awesome, and they're they're worth their uh, their weight in gold for the most part. I'm sure there's some doozies out there. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, kiddos, third grade teacher. Second, no, second grade. Kiddo's second grade teacher. That was a missed opportunity for me to pull her out of that class. But now I understand if, if she's had a good time with every teacher and every teacher has said the same thing. And then one teacher stands out. It's like, why is that teacher the outlier? Because everybody else loves her and everybody else has no problem with her. Uh, you know what? Owen had the exact same thing for the first day of school of his second grade year. 
And the following day, I went to speak with her because he he was coming home telling me, like, this is what she said, but this is what she did. And I it just did not agree with it at all. And I walk in and I'm like, um, yeah, I have a couple questions. My son told me that this is going to sound really stupid, but my son told me he can't have his water bottle at his desk when all of his other teachers have allowed this and he needs it because he has, um, this is really silly, but he has reactive airway disease, which is like the precursor to asthma. Okay. So he does not have asthma and he really doesn't have a problem. Like he lives his life like a normal kid like he plays all the sports he does all the things but his lungs react to everything with coughing Mm. so it doesn't matter like he he doesn't feel good today he will cough like that's just how he operates right so he's always had his water bottle with him for help with that because it soothes it right and he's thirsty and he wants to drink his water. So like, let's let the kid drink his water. And the teacher was like, well, you know, he's very disrespectful. He's all over the place. He doesn't be quiet in class. I'm like, you've had him for one day. And she keeps talking about him. And I'm sitting here thinking that does not sound all of these things she's saying do not sound like my child. Right. At all. And then it like this goes on for several minutes. And then Owen and one of his little playmates come in. And he turns to me and he says something and then he goes to his desk and she goes, oh, that's your child? And I oh, was like, geez. Uh, yeah. And she goes, oh, no, he's fine. He can have his water bottle wherever he wants it. He's so quiet. He's so well behaved. He's great at listening, great at answering the questions. He keeps everyone and round him in line. I thought you were talking about someone else. God. Mm. So someone else's mom is also going to have that conversation. <laughs> but that other mom's going to have earned it. And she's probably going to be like, you know, this checks. We've heard so this, this before. This sounds right. And I'm over here going, you know, none of his other teachers have ever said anything, but he is an absolute pleasure to have in class. Like, mm. so what's what's the problem with you? Like, what, what, yeah, yeah, well, like, the problem what is are you doing the wrong this students? Mom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> These are things. What are you going to do? So. I know you had said that you have a shorter story than mine when we were chatting and passing. Yes. Um, My story doesn't end. I don't pick ones that end on a, oh my gosh, what a great uplifting story. I really love this. Like, (laughs) you know, I did do the one about the sword and the bombing of Bricking, Oregon. Like, so that one did in a really cool note. This one ends on a, I I have to go write some letters. I'm going to need to practice some self-care. I need to light a candle and have a cup of tea. So you want me to go last? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're we're going <laughs> okay, to need okay. it. It's you you need okay. this. Like Okay. I don't think it matters who went first last time because we just we just need a safeguard against this so people don't end this and just go, I gotta go stare at a wall and rethink my life choices and what I do with my free time. My God, man, I'm dying to know what you learned about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you need a hug first? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. But um, like I've gonna... taken care of myself all week. Thank you so right. much. Yeah. Like I've been reading <laughs> the story going, okay, hold up. But I, I need an alternative source. And then this morning uh... I was like, I need to take my sources and knit them together. Like these oh, are things. What is happening here? Okay. Mm. So I'm going to tell you about Prince Dijat's Ali May Yehu. Okay. All right. This is a name I don't know. And to talk about him. I have to start and tell you about the Brit- the Battle of Magdala. 
Okay. My sources are uh, Smithsonian Magazine. One of my favorites. Buckingham Palace refuses to repatriate remains of Ethiopian prince by Christopher Parker. BritishBattles.com has an entry on the Battle of Magdala. I have largely ignored this one just because of how scathing its tone is. And I will kind of touch on that a little bit. Uh, I also pulled an article uh, on the Abyssinia Expedition from UK's National Army Museum website. And another article from the Smithsonian Magazine, Looted Magdalia Treasures Returned to Ethiopia After 150 Years by Livia Gershon. Ah, colonialism. Mm, buckle okay. up, kids. We're going to start <laughs> to hate the systems in place. <laughs> we didn't already. I mean. <laughs> prepare for, for ear. You're feeling anything more than ennui after this. Congratulations. You've got better mental health than I do. Do I need a snack? Should I should I go get a snack first? Like... I mean, after this, when I'm done, if you just need to go take a double shot of whiskey, I totally understand it. <laughs> I can 100% see the look on Ian's face when I just walk out. <laughs> just the pull the bottle and just... <laughs> He's yeah. like, wow, starting early. Huh? It's yeah, not even noon. <laughs> hey, you haven't been drinking all day unless you start by nine. You know, are you even doing it right? Right. <laughs> okay, so we're going back to 1855. Okay. Abyssinia, now in modern-day Ethiopia, has been ruled by Tidwadros II, who is sometimes called Theodore, but Theodore is only referred to in any writing by the British. Figures. So this will be the only time I call him Theodore. Okay. He is a Coptic Christian ruler. He's established his rule through war, defeating his rivals, but has continued to face many internal rebellions. Yeah, as you do. Right. In 1862, he asks the British government for an alliance and for assistance. He's asking for the latest military weapons, for some tactical experts to help him. He's, after all, a Christian ruler, and his wars are with his mostly Muslim labor. So he's thinking... This should work, you know, from one Christian ruler to another. You should want to help me. Right. Like, help me defend Christendom is really yeah. what he's saying. His requests went unanswered. The following year, the en enraged by the foreign office's failure to reply, he seizes a number of European hostages. Among them was the British consul, Captain Charles Cameron, who was kept in chains for over two years. Some reports say he also took missionaries too. Uh, the hostages and the condition of their captivity are said to vary greatly as the unstable Tuadoros II tended to treat them alternately with kindness and cruelty according to his mood. So mind games. We're playing mind games. Well, so again, but these are all from Western sources, right? For all I know, he was keeping them as well as he could and then faced massive attacks from his Muslim neighbors and had to change their living conditions, which may have been not as okay. conducive. We don't know, right? There's so much we don't know that I'm having to read between the lines. Okay, that makes but, sense. But the British sources that I am telling you that I'm largely ignoring are talking about basically that he was insane. Okay. But- Given their source material, I'm not paying them much heed. Okay. Okay. That works. All right. But I'll at least call out that I'm ignoring them. It's like when you point out that person in the room staring at you like, you, buddy, I'm ignoring you. 
Stop it. And you just, you just right now, you're dead to me. And then you just, boom. And then you go on with life. Right. And they kind of go, ooh, man, she didn't leave anything to the imagination. So that's what I'm doing, right? Okay. Okay. So Captain Cameron, captive that he is, wrote the British press describing what's happening. This and the fact that British women and children were amongst the hostages. Oh, no. He created a public outcry that forced the British into a response. Okay. All right. So he created a PR nightmare. Internal diplomatic (laughs) negotiations and numerous gifts failed to secure their release. By June of 1867, in the face of mounting public indignation, the British reluctantly concluded that military intervention was necessary. Okay. Or as a response was planned, it was made clear that this was not simply a mission of conquest. Once the hostages were freed and Thwardos II punished, the military force was to withdraw. There was never any intention, according to the British, of adding Abyssinia to the empire. Okay. Instead of sending soldiers from Britain, a force was dispatched, was withdrawn from Bengal and the arm and the Bombay armies. They were usually used to maintain British control in India, and therefore was made up of both British regiments serving in India and the locally recruited Indian soldiers. The army was commanded by Lieutenant or Lieutenant. I, they always put like an F in there, and it's really weird to me. So Lieutenant General Sir Robert. Lieutenant. Yeah, but it's like there's no F in there. There's zero Fs, just like the zero (laughs) Fs that I get. I was just going to say, like, the zero Fs we have. (laughs) Sir Robert Napier, a royal engineer, was the first engineer that ever led and commanded an expedition. So, I mean, he's at least making history there. So Napier's army was loaded onto ships in Bombay, and it it contained 13,000 soldiers that were sent along with 40,000 animals, including 40 elements 40 elephants trained to pull big artillery guns. Okay. So this just felt like overkill from start to finish. Yeah. You're not planning to take over, but you're bringing 40,000 animals and 44 war elephants. You know, maybe they are a firm believer of making a statement right off the get, you know? You're probably not wrong. The troops sail from Bombay, and then on no- December 21st, 1867, they crossed the Arabian Sea before navigating to the Red Sea to the Gulf of Zula, which is now in modern Beitreya, which is really right on the outskirts of Ethiopia, and they established a base camp from where they could march inland. Now, okay. they had to do all of this because the Suez Canal wasn't done yet, so they have to take this meandering route. So Napier's ability to overcome the logistical challenges that faced the soldiers was essential in the campaign. From very beginning, supplies had to be moved all the way from India and then landed at the Zula, or at Zula on the coast. And so once they've been consolidated there, the British, British forces would have to cross 400 miles of mountain terrain in, hosp- in his good grief, Teresa Marie. So they'd have to cross mm. 400 miles of mountainous terrain in the inhospitable weather conditions to reach Tuardos II's fortress at Magdala. As an engineer... So, I'm sorry, I'm just having this image. (laughs) If I was him, I'd be like, oh, they're still 400 miles away. I'll wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but it's like, I I don't know enough about the elephants and the terrain that they come from in India, but I don't imagine elephants looking at a mountain and going... Yeah, I got this. Climb that. 
Yeah, neither do I, which is why I'm picturing our friend, like, looking, you know, out over the distance and seeing them miles and miles away, being like, well, we'll just wait here. I know. Put on the tea. Like, <laughs> I mean, let's see how many of them make it, I suppose. Yeah, we'll, we'll determine whether or not we're going to fight about this later. Right. That's totally what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm, you're not necessarily <laughs> wrong. I mean, I feel like his position feels heavily defensible at this point yeah absolutely so to reach magdala napier used many technical innovations to keep the army moving and supplied including um he had a telegraph and distillation plants to turn seawater to fresh water he even built a harbor with piers and warehouses to unload and store the supplies and put in 20 miles of well ray line that were laid complete with locomotions that were bought from or locomotives that were bought from india these are big boats if you're bringing a whole ass train Mm -hmm. and forty thousand animals yeah like oh gosh okay you brought noah's ark and a train this is the equivalent of me trying to build a plan he might be an engineer, but he might have over-engineered this. Like, this just feels like overkill. A little bit. Okay. So the Royal Engineers built a road to the interior of the country to help the army move even quicker. As speed was a factor, the campaign needed to be complete before the torrential June rains made already challenging by the terrain that was viewed as utterly impassable. The advance begins... January 26th, and was combined with diplomatic efforts as the British secured agreements with Tuados II's enemies to cross the territory without encountering armed opposition. And this would protect the lines of communication and supply. Can, can I just say that these enemies are also the ones that he wrote them about being like, hey, my Muslim neighbors are kind of the ones giving me grief right now. Can we, from one ruler to another, kind of work together? And then the army comes in and goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I was but just my, the enemy of the enemies. <laughs> yeah. But my, my friend previously wrote me about you, but now we've we've switched everything. Change insides. Who's I thing? mean, like all of this could have been averted with a mere response to a letter. I mean, but come on. You have the opportunity to either A, mail out a letter, or B, show up with 40 war elephants. Against another, like, gosh like i want war elephants okay fine okay i'm gonna keep going then (laughs) sorry so it's just how i feel you know be flashy do the thing all right i mean as you wish napier's diplomacy ensured that the british were able to march freely across northern absinia but it still took over two months to reach magdala Tuardos II's capital is built on top of volcanic plug that towers over the local landscape like this thing is just massive. He built his place in the most defensible position. But Good bef- on him. If you're going to be ruler and you're going to try to take over things and rule with an iron fist and war, like this this checks. Like he's consistent. Villain building his castle in a volcano as you do. I mean, you say villain. I'm well, unsure. I'm just I'm just saying I'm thinking like yeah, cuz I'm unsure about him being the villain too, but I'm thinking like, you know, all the movies, all the, the bad guys always got his. Oh, yeah. The the volcanic yeah. layer, yeah. the whole nine. Okay. <laughs> Sharks. With laser beams. <laughs> but before the British could assault it, they needed to cross the, patu- the plateau of Arga- Ar- 
I practice so many words. This was not one of the words I practice. Arogi, the plateau of Arogi. Sure. Tuatus II's army, including 30 British, whoop, Tuatus II's army, including 30 artillery pieces, was encamped around it in defensive positions, which is what the British would have to battle through. So he's got guns pointed down at the roads, going right to his place, like, come and get it, boys. So this sounds great. On April 10th, Tuatus II orders his army to attack, but rather than hold their positions in an effort to seize the initiative, they were ill-equipped, and the British and Indian soldiers drove them back into Magdala. The battle lasts just 90 minutes, and more than 500 Abyssinians were killed and thousands more wounded. The British oh suffered gosh. a mere handful of injuries. Wow. And in one of the things I found, like the the dragoons, you know, the ones like when you think of Outlander, like what is his name? The bad guy, the main bad guy from the early books. Captain Jack. Yes. Captain, Jack, Captain Blackjack. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of his last name. I can't either, but it's the Claire's last name at the beginning of the book. Randall. Randall. Captain Jack Randall. Oh my gosh, we did it together. Go team. <laughs> Yay! Go team. Okay. <laughs> so he was a dragoon. So imagine like tons of them, right? I saw the red uniform and I was like, you jackass. Like brought up all of the feelings about Captain Jack Randall. Okay. Yep. Way to ruin an entire group of people. <laughs> you know, like I said, I'm team. I don't know who's the right person in this. I feel like it's probably a mixture of neither. Yeah. Okay. Fair. So either way, the Abyssinians get their, their rear ends handed to them. And the following day, the British move in to attack Magdala itself. Todoros II releases all of his European hostages over the next two days and then murders the others that he's holding, but he refuses to surrender. And then on April 13th, the British attacked the fortress and artillery bombardment covered the advance up the narrow route to the entrance. And once there, the British rushed both the outer and inner gates while being under fire. As the British move into the fortress, they discover the body of Todoros II just inside the second gate. But rather than be captured, he committed suicide with a pistol that had been a gift from Queen Victoria. Oh. Bringing it full circle. So it's not like he hasn't had letters answered prior, right? They just ignored yeah. this missive. Mm. Hold that in your brain. Okay, it's there. Okay. As news of his death spread, all resistance from the defenders came to an end. Napier's Anglo-England Anglo-Indian army had won and cap and the campaign had cost them just 18 wounded and two killed. There's no accurate record of how many obsidian casualties were sustained. Of course. It took 15 elephants and around 200 mules to carry all the wealth that the British looted from Magdala. That's what they brought the elephants for. Yeah. I wanted to war because elephants. apparently they didn't need all of that artillery that the elephants were supposedly carrying if they just left it there. Yeah. Good catch. <laughs> and later, many of the stolen objects were auctioned off to raise, quote, prize money, unquote, for British troops. Okay, so we're paying their bills this way? Yay, colonialism! Among the stolen goods, Prince Dijach Ali Miyehu and his mother, Empress Tiliwuk Wube. 
but don't worry about the Empress because she dies en route to England. Oh. When he arrived in the United Kingdom, Prince Sajat Ali Miehu is newly orphaned six-year-old. He grew up in the care of the British Army officer who sent him to boarding schools and introduced him to members of high society, including the royal family. Queen Victoria. Okay. What? I, I think I'm making a connection, but I'm not sure yet. Okay. Queen Victoria took an interest in Alamiyehu and arranged for him to study at elite schools before he sent to a military training, training academy in Sandhurst. He left after less than a year for the English city of Leeds, where he died of pleurisy, which is an inflammation in the lining surrounding his lungs. He died at 18 in 1879. Mm. Victoria wrote in her diary, very grieved and shocked to hear by telegram that good Alamiyehu has passed away this morning. It is too sad, all alone in a strange country, without a single person or relative belonging to him. You he know, was... this could have been avoided if you'd have wrote a letter back. Yeah, or maybe didn't send 40 war elephants and however many other animals to haul back. Like, if you just took what you needed to actually do just the job, and not loot and pillage the entire way home. Would they be British if they didn't loot and pillage, though? Hold, please. <laughs> He's buried in the catacombs of St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. And Jeremiah Gersha, an expert in looting of human remains at the University College Dublin, who's originally from California, says that there That's is no doubt. Never mind. I'm He's so a professor... I love it. Who ends up being an expert in looting of human remains. So we you know, after a couple of years of this podcast, I feel like you and I both will be able to claim that title. <laughs> I was going to say we all have a thing. <laughs> right. Like, so he hyperfixates just on something different. He makes the statement that there is no doubt that Alamiyehu was stolen. Quote, he was he was kidnapped, he said. You have a minor coming to another country as an orphan after his mother dies, and then he himself dies at 18. Something should feel wrong about that. He was looted as well, like all of the other curios and treasures that were taken. Unquote. I, yeah. I the agree. British... Yeah, no, go ahead. No, interrupt, because this, this I, just... I so totally agree with that. That, yes. Mm-hmm. The yeah. British obsession with Africa at a time created a huge market for the stolen goods. This curiosity extended beyond the ceremony shields and religious items to actually living Black African people. I've heard of this. Quote, you wouldn't kidnap a white child. Victoria is not going to end up with a child from the London suburb Town. There had to be a racial element, the foreignness for this prince to have come to be at the palace. Gersha said. I feel as if I knew him, says Abebek Kassa, an Ethiopian royal descendant to Jabat Timeriat and C Cecilia McCauley of BBC News. He was dislocated from Ethiopia, from Africa, from the land of Black people, and remained there as if he had no home. <laughs> so this story surfaced when a friend of mine Natasha uh, sent me this article about England not returning the prince's remains, despite Prince Alamiyehu's family asking for them for 150 years and not after 150 years, but consistently during that time. 
Like, we have been sending you text messages, and you have been leaving us unread for 150 years. Just okay. like you left Wadero's the Second's letter unread. In the mailbox. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cecil Minas, a descendant of the Obsidian royal family and relative of Alimiehu, told BBC, we want his remains back as a family and as Ethiopians because that is not the country he was born in. And nor was it the country he chose to be in. Yep. But the palace said this week, this because this article was published back in May of this year, of 2023, that it just wasn't possible and it would disturb the other human remains buried nearby. We dig stuff up all the time. Bom, bom, bom. Like, uh. It's just going to be hard. And like, I just don't want to. So I've decided no. Can you reconvene with me on this after trooping the color? Because I feel like then we might be able to help you. I mean, I don't know what I have to tell you, but the, the kingdom just isn't what it used to be. We can't possibly muster up the manpower. That would take like three people. Mm. So <laughs> I take like three people. I love you so much. <laughs> I don't know why that hit me after the fact so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I just like being an asshole. You're my favorite. <laughs> oh my Here's God. another fun quote. The Dean and Canons of Windsor are very sensitive to the need to honor the memory of Prince Alimiyehu, Buckingham Palace said in a statement sent to BBC News on Tuesday. However, they have been advised that it is very unlikely that it would be possible to exhume the human remains without disturbing the resting place of a substantial numbers of others in the vicinity, the statement said. The Ethiopian embassy is welcome, or the Ethiopian embassy in London is welcome to keep visiting the grave to pay respects, the statement adds. But historians said the palace should do more to take responsibility for its past. You stole a person. Give it back. Multiple people. Yes, Multiple people. Him and back. his mom, the freaking empress. It's not like they took that and said, you know what? We said we weren't going to intervene or add you to the Commonwealth. So... The empress yeah. and the, the heir can stay and maintain their country. Did did they ever, like, okay, because you said the empress died on the way to England? Yeah. Did, was she returned? Or was she just buried where she died? Unsure. No, very, very little mention other than, like, well, she didn't make it. Oh, okay. That's, but again, that, English sources. So, you know, it's not like anybody had... Some skin in the game there. It wasn't their empress. What did they care? That checks. But uh, I, I have a couple more paragraphs of sadness. Uh, I know. Okay. Quote, This is such an emotional issue because it reminds everyone of Alamiehu's plight. A child struck in a foreign land, never allowed to go home, said Andrew Heavens the author of a new book on Alamiyehu and the British raid in Abyssinia titled The Prince and the Plunder. Emotionally, right? 
Most people who get to know Alamiyehu's story feel his remains should be returned. He made it so clear before he died he wanted to go back, Heaven said. Making matters worse, this news broke in 2023. But in 2021, we have articles about Abyssinian items that were stolen during that conflict getting repatriated back to Ethiopia. Okay, okay, so we can return some stuff. You say that, but it's never done out of altruism. That's true. Okay. The nonprofits had to raise the money to buy the items and then send them back to Ethiopia. Gotcha. That checks. Yep. That super checks. Yep. And in the article- We can't just give our stuff back. No, we can't just go, you know what? My ancestors made a blunder. I'm going to step up and go- Honestly, this is just sitting in a shelf collecting dust. Like, it, this means very little to me. I'm just going to do the right thing. Yeah, I'm like, ugh, whatever. Not, this this but is it's, a topic that drives me insane. Yeah, the British totally are like, agree. you know, my parent, my, my, my forefathers did a, did a really bad thing. Um, I want to make it right um, to the tune of this number on this check dollars. written to me. Yeah. Like, no, just do right. You you literally gained nothing by it. It's just taking up space in your freaking attic. And even if it, like, there's no, it just, it makes me absolutely crazy because there's no, even if it was sitting in a museum that brought a ton of tourism and that brought a ton of revenue to- Create a replica. Well, not only could you create a replica, but you could then in turn use that revenue to filter back to the people with which the item is from. Right. Right. You know, like... So like, even if you were refusing to give said item back, which is totally the inappropriate thing to do, but even if you were refusing that, there are ways you could still, the the people of that region could benefit without, right, whatever, just give people stuff back. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like... And don't collect body parts. Put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. Like, if it if at any point you look around and you go, I think that's a human remain. No. Absolutely not. Put it back. Why'd you bring it home? Okay, so before I finish up on my, my really bad note, at one point, kiddo was like three. We went to a park. And... She's looking around a flower bed, doing her little thing, exploring, you know, nature in quotation marks. And then she pulls up a skull and she goes, mommy, look, I think it's a rabbit. And I look and I was like, well, you're already touching it. So telling you to put it down won't really matter because those germs are already on your hand. It's yours now. (laughs) And... I really think she was right about it, just knowing it was a rabbit skull, because, boy, those teeth were were accurate for what I would think of a rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, and then, okay. Then we came home and cleaned it very thoroughly. However, the internet told me was the best way to clean a skull, which is something that <laughs> is in my search history. That was something you didn't think you were going to ever uh, Google, huh? I mean, not outside of maybe a creative writing exercise. Never for an application. These are things. Being a parent, you're going to learn to clean poo out of super orifice or super weird orifices, and you're also going to Google. Yeah, why not? You're going to Google things like you're going to Google things you didn't even know were imaginable. Mm -hmm. Is fill in the blank poisonous? 
Yes. What is blank? <laughs> <laughs> does the color does the color blank in blank <laughs> mean anything serious? Should I call a doctor? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do you All still right. have it? The rabbit skull? I honestly, she has a, a box of random nature things that could be like a replica of a um, Tyrannosaurus Rex tooth or a shark jaw or like, so she's, and we just kind of put it in the box. So she's practicing her, her colonial heritage. Yeah. <laughs> or archaeology, you know, like. Yeah, um, paleontology. I'm here yeah, for it. You Keep know? your box of weird stuff. And that's just what it is. Or box of nature stuff. Could be some starfish that were dried out. A couple sand dollars. I or love that. bones that she just finds. You know. Which it's as you do. You know? Right. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to end on this note because, I mean, this this actually, like, checked. And I was just fantastic. Um, in the article about the items that were repatriated back to Ethiopia, uh, Aluna Alula Pankhurst, a member of Ethiopian's National Heritage Restitution Committee, says retaining artifacts, notably human remains, such as those of Prince Elamiyehu in Windsor Chapel or sacred objects, such as the Holy Talbot Arcs of the Covenant in the British Museum, is becoming increasingly anachronistic, irrelevant, and embarrassing. <laughs> and that is the story of Prince Dijaj. Alamiyehu. I'm sad he hasn't made it home yet. Right? Oh, yeah, I'll write an angry letter. Dear British Museum, Give open the back. gates. And see, the British Museum has a lot of the other stuff. They don't have his bones. We That goes straight to Charles III. I know a guy. Right? Yeah. Dang it. Hmm. Teresa, like I said, don't let me end on this note because everybody will turn off their things and just stare at the wall and go, well, now I'm angry about things I didn't know I was going to be angry about today. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly what's happened. I'm angry about something I didn't plan on being angry But you about. know, nobody ate a puppy. Things could be worse. Things Things are always go have the ability to be worse when I'm telling a story. I, you know, I really commend you for it, to be honest. If, it's going to be hard to top myself next time. <laughs> going to be hard to top yourself. So far, you've eaten puppies and... Um, I myself have not. I have eaten horse. True. I have that's eaten true. whale. Why would you eat a whale? Because it was on the menu and it was already like there. I mean, I felt bad that it was there, but I mean, did it taste look, like chicken? No, it didn't. Um, it didn't have much of a taste, and that made me feel really bad about ordering it because at least didn't you know? Like I was like, this didn't fill a niche. Didn't check any boxes. Right now, I have to answer for the fact that I did it. Um, the horse was delicious, which is not a common statement to say in the house because my child is <laughs> adoring of horses. <laughs> I could just I could see the look on her little face as her ear is pressed up against the office door right now. Right. Well, I mean, people have said you ate a horse and I said, "Yeah, it was on my 24th birthday. It was on the menu and it was my birthday and I'd always wanted a pony." So 
So did what I could, you know. Right. Like, and I I made that comment when I because I was it was in Japan and I was eating with a group of my students and a couple coworkers. And I said that, and the students looked at me like, I don't get it. And then the native English speakers looked at me and howled with laughter because they recognized the entitled I want a pony for my birthday trope. And so I got one, dang it. It took me 24 years on this planet, but I managed it. Hmm. It's only a bite. Only a bite. With garlic and some shiso. Delicious. (laughs) 10 out of 10. Would do again. I was going to say, would do again. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to let you end on that that sad note of not repatriating people's bones. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of... um, Penelope Barker. Have you heard of this name? No. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, because here's where my um my patriotic side comes out, I suppose. Um, my sources are Edenton Tea Party and American First, the North Carolina History Project. Penelope Barker, the National Women's History Museum at womenshistory.org. History of Edenton Chowan Partnerships. And Penelope Barker and the Edenton Tea Party founder of the day.com. And then the cursory Wikipedia article. <laughs> this checks. Written, written on the bathroom wall. Okay. Um, so the story is not totally wild. There's no like real uh wow. Well, there's wow moments, but there's nothing like really outlandish in my story. So uh for that, I'm sorry. This is not a hysterical story. Then why are we here? Because I have to tell you the most amazing thing ever. Well, it's 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 got a special place in my heart. That's why. It's not the most amazing thing ever, but it has a special place in my heart. Like what? I know that was really that was conflicting. I'm sorry. It has. It's not like this is not the story of the organ bombings. You know. Okay. Like. It doesn't have a ginormous wow factor, but everything about it makes me really happy. So this is one of those, it's not an incredible bouquet that you would see in the lobby of a very exquisite hotel. It is an incredible flower in the middle of a meadow that you took a photo of. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. That was, that is a perfect description. That is what I'm here for, but that is why you also will let me end on a bad note. (laughs) Also. Yes. In fact. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to share this story is because it's a portion of revolutionary history that is definitely not taught. Um, like I literally just learned about it and was like, why was this not shared in, in our history classes? Like, this is so fun. Was this inspired? Have you already been watching Outlander the new no. season? Okay. No. I just, I, cause I know that they're heading to the revolutionary war and, the fact that I did any work yesterday proves that I am a loyal employee because I should have just called in dead and binged the entire thing. <laughs> should have just done it. Uh, no, but it is funny that you say that because there is a moment in this story that I was like, oh, that's very outlandery. <laughs> oh, but, go on. But not not in the way you think. Okay, so anyway. To begin with, it's only... F- I, I just need to give you a little, a little back story. Um... Edenton, North Carolina is the town that this this whole thing takes place. It was founded in 1712. It was actually founded just a few years before New Orleans. Okay. So, to give you some context of age. 
it has long been an occupied area both by European descent and native <clears throat> indigenous cultures. Edenton boasts some of the oldest continually used homes and public buildings in the country and is a hotbed for historical activity and love. Here's my lesser known American Revolutionary story. Penelope Baker is born in Edenton in 1728, one of three daughters of Samuel Paget, who was a doctor and a farmer, and Elizabeth Blount, who herself was the daughter of James Blount, who's a wealthy politician and planter okay. in the area. When Penelope was just a teen, both her father and her older sister died, like one right after the other. And so Penelope decides she's going to help raise her older sister's children. So as she's helping raise her older sister's children, she ends up marrying her widower. So she's married to her sister's, her, de her deceased Th sister. Thank you brother. for that. Cause I was like, she married her yeah. own widower. Wait a minute. So yeah. thank the, you. The passed away sister's husband. Okay. I thought he was remarrying a corpse for a second. I got scared. <laughs> no, no. She, she marries the widower, um, John Hogson, Hodgson, and she helps to raise the children that her sister and him had. Her niece and also, nephew. Yeah. While also um, bearing two sons of her own. Sadly, though, he would also die only two years later. Which is an absolute bummer. That's okay. Because when she was 23 in 1751, she marries a wealthy planter named James Craven. Unfortunately, he would also be dead by 1755, making her twice a widow before seven, before being 30 years old. Can Good you imagine grief. that? Right? So she's got this slew of children, twice a widow. Already life is has got to be, like, this woman has to be so special for just the things that she does. I mean, I'm just imagining, like, how, how did... I recognize life expectancy is low and that no tomorrow is for certain and, and all of that nonsense. Um, but how did she keep children alive and keep losing adults? Like I'm, it's not her fault. So, but. You know, it's funny that you say that because by the time I got to her third husband, I was like, I wonder. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, do, Are we just not recording <laughs> deaths of children or. So one of the articles, one of the sources that I read said that by the time she was uh for lack of a better word, more elderly, most of her children had already died, whether it was because of the war or because of disease or whatever. Okay. Not There were not many surviving children. And um, just because I'm into too much true crime, is there any, are the husbands dying the same way? Like, do they all strangely die of a, of a sickness after eating? Okay. Literally the exact same thought went through my mind, but I did not dig too deep into that because... I don't think that's the case, and um, I also don't want that to be the case. So I chose to just be like, mm, I don't want to know how the husbands died. Fair. Just, mm, we're just gonna. Mm. Um, but <laughs> two years later, she would marry a third time to a man called Thomas Barker, who was sixteen years older and an attorney. She would have three children with him, but sadly, none of them would survive in infancy. Wow. So she's yeah. up to like what? Five kids that stay alive at this point? Um I mean, I feel like we're at the chalkboard two, and we keep erasing and adding. Three. Yeah, I think at this point there's five living. Um I know for certain that one of her daughters does marry and has children of her own. Okay. So 
there is at least a, a descendancy. Okay. But um, I don't think any of the other children did. I could be wrong on that. If someone knows, I would love to. I would love to learn that. Um, however, this is where the real story starts. Thomas, in 1761, is sent to England as an agent and treasurer of the North Carolina colony. He would remain in England for 17 years. Mostly because of the revolution and the British blockade and the British blockade. This left Penelope to manage the affairs of the home and the estate, and she handled them like a boss lady. Mm. By the time she married him, she was considered one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest woman in all of North Carolina. Dang. Um, she had just found not only did she come from a family that had money, but she found like every person she married she inherited from them and um so she was just accumulating wealth after wealth after wealth which is why i thought oh i wonder if she's a black widow (laughs) i mean you know at some point there's financial gain you know Uh, yeah um but anyway this seemed to work well for them he was gone for the 17 years and she she was running running the joint, but we're we are living in pre revolutionary America at the time, right. right? So there's like a lot of tension. There's a lot of um, anger towards the British taxation without representation. There's we want to just talk to people and help them understand our plight. Like we have our own products we can use from here, but we want to keep buying your products. But this, you know, the whole thing, right? Like right. all the pre American revolutionary stuff that we already know. So, like, just a little bit north, like, 638 miles in that little town of Boston on December 16th of 1773, roughly 50 men disguised as natives board three ships. Yeah, yeah, they, all the tea they in cosplay, the harbor, they get drunk, yeah. they cosplay, and yep, then they, they yep. go, they go and yep. throw a bunch of stuff overboard. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, you've heard of this, the, the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've um, made my model of a ship, yeah, and uh, that was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. fifth grade, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're we're well aware of the LARPing that took place. Um, <laughs> so... I will for now refer to the Boston Tea Party as the LARPing. <laughs> You're welcome. The Great LARPing of 1773. <laughs> the drunken um... LARPers. <laughs> this was a very pleasing act to many of the inhabitants of North Carolina. Um, by 1774... North Carolina passes a no a non-importation resolve to protest British trade regulations. On October 25th of 1774, Penelope invited close to 50 of her closest lady friends to the home of Elizabeth King, and they all had a bit of a tea party themselves. They signed a resolution that supported the boycott of British goods, such as tea, material, clothing, things like that. Okay supposedly while doing this they also drank a homemade tea made of lavender herbs and mulberry leaves delightful right this event would later be called the edenton tea party i have um a portion of the petition would you like me to read it you can but here's where i'm going to just say this is a group of women writing on a sheet of paper almost 200 years before we get the vote Mm-hmm. Like I I'm have just, to read it. I mean, you have to, but at the same point, I'm like, the snark in me says, 
a group of people whose voices we have declared don't matter and declared that the Constitution wasn't even written for got together and wrote something down. This is going to be largely ignored by everybody that can grow enough chin hair. You would think that it was very much not. Oh, okay. I mean, I love it when I'm wrong. Please go on. So the quote, the provincial deputies of North Carolina, having resolved not to drink any more tea nor wear any more British cloth, Many ladies of this province have determined to give memorable proof of their patriotism and have accordingly entered into the following honorable and spirited association. I send it to you to show your fair countrywoman how zealously and faithfully American ladies follow the laudable example of their husbands and what opposition your matchless ministers may expect to receive from the people thus fairly united against them. And then it goes on to say, we cannot be indifferent on any occasion that appears nearly to affect the peace and happiness of our country. And it is a duty which we owe not only to our near and dear connections, but to ourselves. Okay. Okay. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yes. Founderofthedaycom says this about the petition, and I absolutely love this part. So Founder of the Day says this about the petition. Quote, the Edenton Tea Party sent their petition to England where it was printed in the papers. In her accompanying letter, Barker even went so far as to criticize the men of Boston for wearing disguises, noting that the <laughs> women of Edenton were brave enough to sign their own names. <laughs> you know, anytime you can call a group of patriots cowards. I mean... <laughs> First off, I feel like coward is an underused insult nowadays. Oh, it's one of my favorites. And you're absolutely right. Definitely not used enough. Absolutely. And she had no problem calling them out. Like, you not only wore a disguise, you couldn't even be brave enough to show your face. Oh, right. we signed our own names, my good sir. Um. So this shocked both the royalist colonists and the British alike. London magazines would call the women of Edenton uncontrollable. The North Carolina History Project has a wonderful note about the feelings. Quote, while visiting London, North Carolina royalist Arthur Erdell was vexed after hearing the news of the tea party. In a letter to his brother, he sardonically asks, Pray, are you coming? Are you becoming patriotic? Is there a female Congress at Edenton too? By the way, vexed. Another word, vex. underused. We need to bring that back. Yes, we need I to actually, vex them I love cowards. That word. Love that word. He goes on. It goes on to say, "Truth is, many times disguised as humor, as evidenced by the rest of Erdell's letter. If the ladies who have ever since the Amazonian era been esteemed the most formidable enemies, if they, I say, should attack us, the most fateful, fatal consequences is to be dreaded." So dexterous in the handling of a dart, each wound they give is mortal. The more we try to conquer them, the more we are conquered. Can we just have that quote played over and over whenever a group of men decide to legislate against? they shouldn't. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) you know, these women, they kind of band together and they're mean. And they know what they're doing. Each blows mortal. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fear so, me. Indeed. In my petticoats. 
It goes on to say that while the ladies didn't dump anything in their harbor, in the harbor, their act was, quote, nothing less than a bold display of patriotism and love of liberty. That's why their tea didn't consume, con- contain tea leaves, because they were practicing what they were preaching. Yeah. And they made from from what I read, they made their tea like from local sources, like it was all. What yeah. a, what a strange thing to just make your own things and not just rely on paying for everything. Weird, right? Yeah. Um, so here's my little outlander moment. This is an anecdote that came from Wikipedia. Being informed by a servant that some British soldiers were taking her carriage horses from her stable, she snatched her husband's sword from the wall, went out, and with a single blow severed the reins in the officer's hands and drove her horses back into the stables. The British officer declared that for such an exhibition of bravery, she should be allowed to keep her horses and she was never again molested afterward. Dang. <laughs> um, Mrs. Baker would continue her boycott all throughout the war and the action of the actions of the Edenton ladies would inspire women all over the colonies to boycott and help the rebellion. There are um, a lot of fun sister stories of of our sisters doing what they could to help their cause from wearing homespun fabrics to selling tea that was liberated from an East India Company port in Charleston, South Carolina to help fund the rebellion. I I love anytime you hear liberated like that. It's like, we stole, but we're going to use some marketing spin. Yes. And I chose to I chose to word it that way because my source said that the um the the tea was kept in a like a you know in a port like it was housed it wasn't mm. on the ship it was like housed in the port but it had been there for so long um because of the whole taxation problem they couldn't sell it the east indy company couldn't sell it so my assumption is if they can't sell it it was stolen right um they would then go on to sell it to other patriots to help fund the war which i think is absolutely chef's kiss <laughs> I mean, that's that's just a straight up leaf out of the British, ta- you know, textbook, right? We we can do. We're going to steal we... a bunch of stuff and then we're going to sell it to raise money for our own army. That we are plotting against you, right? Right. <laughs> like so, this is just the Americans going. Hey, I know this trick. I, I read about this once. Um, the ladies of the Edenton Tea Party are of the most important historical significance for they performed the first act of women's political demonstration in American history. Mrs. Penelope Barker is an activist that we should all strive to understand, especially in a time when women were given so little freedom. Her peaceful actions broke molds and made waves all the way to the doorsteps of King George and for all the American people. When her husband did finally return, they built what would be known as the Barker House, which now serves as the welcome center for Edenton. And she out yet outlived yet another husband, but died herself in 1796. They are buried in a small graveyard at Hayes Plantation. Okay, can I very quickly tell you why this story means so much to me? Yes. Okay. So several years ago. I asked my husband where, like, what the town he was from was like. And he said, oh, you would not like Sneeds. Sneeds has exactly one post office and one stoplight. Let me find somewhere else that would be uh, interesting. No, so he's hold, going hold up on. The map. Sneeds where? Sneeds is on the Florida-Georgia line. Okay. Um, And that's where he spent 
a portion of his childhood and I've always been curious about it. So I was like, Hey, can you Google earth it? Like, I want right. to see what it looks like. Right. And he was like, Oh no, no, that's flat. It's boring. You won't like it. So he's like scrolling up the map and he goes, I actually think that you would probably really like North Carolina. And he finds this little town called Edenton. So this is like five or six years ago. And from that point on, I have been absolutely obsessed with this little city. It is 300 years of American history. Like the cannons from the American Revolution are still there. Like mm. they, li- they line the harbor. The Barker house, which is Penelope Barker's house, is the visitor center now, but for a short time, very briefly, it was for sale for like a stupid amount of money before it went back into the trust. Stupid and- low amount of money or stupid high? stupid high amount of money okay this house is immaculate i have pictures of it it's gorgeous and i told ian if i ever win the lottery i'm buying this house (laughs) however i'm kicking the visitor center out and it's it's gonna be my house however i was like okay maybe not that one that house is is like too too front and center like it's the whole town can see it right so then i thought the another house came on the market and it's called the Aethal Plantation. It is six miles away from the Hayes Plantation where Penelope Barker was buried. Mm. The Aethal Plantation came on the market. It was originally on the market for $1 million. By the time it sold, it sold for $450,000. What? Mm-hmm. This house is the house of my dreams. Now, the connection to this house and Penelope Barker is that during the last hurricane that came through and actually, like, wreaked a little havoc in the North Carolina area, because this area doesn't often get hit, but a few years ago it did, the road got knocked out from the Aethal Plantation to the Hayes Plantation. The only way you could get from the Aethal anywhere else was to Mm. go through the back roads of the Hayes Plantation. So I think at one point they were probably one piece of property okay, that had been split in two. Yeah. Um, But like all these little things connect together and then to read about her and to read the story, I was like, I know all these houses. Like I've been obsessed with these houses. I've been obsessed with this town this whole time. I remember her name. Wow. But not make the connection that this woman was like this badass founding lady who was not about to just let the men go have all the fun. So there's my story of Penelope Barker, the first uh, female activist in American history. I mm. love her. Right? Um, do you want to see some pictures of her? Do, 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 do. Let me of her. let me nibble share before you tell me. I mean, maybe you can't. And ah. that does remind me. I have pictures of Alamiehu. Oh, yeah. He was, he was the sweetest. I only have like, okay. Let me share my screen real quick. This pretty that. much is the only photo I could find. Oh. I mean, that's pretty much right after he was orphaned. Which one is the captain that looked after him? Do you know? That's his guardian, the guy who, Captain Speedy. Okay. It looks like he was at least good to him. And I mean, that's hard to tell one way or another, but. Right. Alan the Yehu? Alma, yeah. am I saying that right? Yeah, I mean, I hope so, but it's A L E M A Y E H U. What a sweet boy! Oh my goodness! I know. Human that makes suck. me so mad. Put him back. Yeah. 
Um, so the first the first house you wow. see with the four columns, that's the Barker house, which is the visitor center that they built. By four columns, you war. mean four chimneys? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is this is the front entrance to it. Oh my god. They host a masquerade ball there every year. They have to. That's what that house was designed for. Exactly. It's such a big grand house. Here's the Hayes Plantation where she was buried, which I'm just absolutely obsessed with. But here's my favorite right here. But you know, any of those homes, like there's just so much cleaning that you would have to do. So much dusting. And here's our girl. Well done. Well done. I love her dress. It's so pretty. It's like a pinky silk. That's all I can think of. It is it totally rem- it reminds me of I can't think of her name right now. I want to say it's Josephine, but Jamie's uncle da- Jamie's aunt. Yes, uh who has the uh plantation in the south. Yeah. Oh, her gown. Is- that's yeah. that's totally as soon as I saw that I was like, "Oh, I think I've seen that dress before." <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's my girl. That's my house. <laughs> you say that. And it's like, her house. I don't want anything like that. I want a cute little tiny house in the back. You know, something that's like super easy to clean. 30 minutes, done. Not like, well, I've got to go clean the back 40 bedrooms. So the AFL house only has five bedrooms. If I want, if I remember right, I could be wrong. It is. A, it's a bed and breakfast now. You can go stay at it. I could be wrong on the number of bedrooms it has, but the kitchen, I'm obsessed with the kitchen and I'm obsessed with the grounds and the big Greek columns. I'm such a sucker for for plantation houses. So there you have it. Wow. Yeah. Penelope Barker. Well, thank you for the sharing. Thank you for lifting me out of the funk of uh, body thieves. Hey, you're welcome. Just remember that um, we will conquer. <laughs> as my as my friend said, I'm trying to remember his exact wording. Uh, the more they try to conquer them, the more we are conquered. Yeah, highlight that. Where are we? Uh, because you is... said that, and I'm like, I'm trying to find the, oh, that, that quote didn't necessarily right make sense to me. That's the one where he's saying, like, um, so dexterous Wait, is the handling hi- of dart right here. Oh, you can't it? see my finger. I'm realizing now that you yeah. can't see my finger. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you this, but we are not <laughs> in the same space. Sorry. Can you see that? Yes, so dexterous the handling of a dart that each wound they give is mortal. The more we try to conquer them, the more we are conquered. Okay. Yes. The more because I I didn't I I didn't hear the we are conquered. I heard they are conquered, and I was like, the more we try to conquer them, the more they are conquered. Yeah, of course that cause and effect. <laughs> no, the more men the more men try to hold the ladies down, the more they are conquered. The men are conquered. That is an incredible quote. Very right? truly. I love it. Absolutely love it. And it, it I think she's amazing. So she she's my girl. Penelope Penelope Barker. And her name's Penelope. Could we be any cuter? That's true. I mean, really, right? I mean, cuz you know, Penny is always an adorable shortened version. Right? It's just so it's so cute and when I was re- writing her name, like I thought if I can stay up late enough, I'm just going to watch all of Bridgerton in one go. <laughs> cuz cuz Pen like, yeah, oh, her name's Penelope. I want I, now. I now I need to hear the name over and over again. But I didn't. I I'm all for that. I went to bed like a responsible adult. Why are we stuck making decisions like responsible adults when we really just want to do the fun things? 
as my girl with the cool outfit in that TikTok I sent you yesterday. Dumb as hell. <laughs> Aren't we? Stupid. I know. Anyway. Well, if you've enjoyed us being dumb as hell and you want to share <laughs> our dumb as hellness with your friends, you can rate, review, subscribe. You can also email us. We like emails. You know, I like hearing from you just because that is who we are and we like We're sharing needy. those stories. And we are at unhingedhistorypod at gmail.com. Super needy. We're super needy. And we're super needy. And on that note, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> goodbye.